next episode of Words About Biology. I hope you had a great holiday season and are having an excellent new year so far. On this week's episode, I'm going to be discussing cloning. Cloning is the process of creating an individual that is genetically identical to another organism. Um, and this can be done either naturally or artificially. So natural cloning is a form of reproduction that's used by plants, fungi, and bacteria. So these organisms produce genetically identical offspring through asexual reproduction, which can be fission, meaning the organism is dividing into two, budding, smaller offspring organisms grow off the side of the parent plant or organism and then eventually breaks away, vegetative propagation, which is where plants form spores, seeds, tubers, or bulbs, fragmentation, in which a new organism grows from a fraction of the parent, or agametogenesis, where there are no male gametes used. For example, um, parthenogenesis, where an unfertilized egg can develop into a new individual. So these are all forms of cloning that are found naturally in the world, and maybe they're not what you think of traditionally when people are talking about cloning. Um, I think most often what we think of is what we call artificial cloning, and that's what I'm going to focus on for the remainder um, of this episode and what I'll mostly be talking about. Artificial cloning follows the same idea as natural cloning, which is creating a new organism which is genetically identical to another. Some of the first steps towards artificial cloning occurred in the late 1920s and the early 1930s. There was a German embryologist named Hans Spimmen, who was later awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine, for his discovery of embryonic induction. And this is how the embryo directs the development of groups of cells to form specific tissues and organs. In 1928, um, him and one of his students were the first to perform a somatic cell nuclear transfer. And I'm going to be referring to this a lot in this episode. So a somatic cell nuclear transfer is the transfer of a body or somatic cell nucleus so the smaller spherical object that contains all the DNA, taking it from a regular body cell and then inserting it into an egg cell which has had its own nucleus removed. So this combined cell is then transported into a surrogate after a few successful cell divisions which are stimulated by electric shock and then this surrogate. And the idea is they carry this to term and give birth to the genetic clone. Now something to note is that they will be mostly genetically identical. However, if you read the short blog post that I made in late December, you'll know that we also get some of our DNA from mitochondria or mitochondrial DNA, which does play a role in our genetics. The mitochondrial DNA in this case would come from the egg cell. Even though it's had its nucleus removed, the mitochondria still remain. Now the somatic cell nuclear transfer that Hans Spimmen performed with one of his students was using amphibian embryos. However, they didn't end up creating live offspring. The first documented live animal that was produced using somatic cell nuclear transfer 
was a tadpole, and this was in 1952. This was followed by a carp in 1963, and then a mouse in 1986. Following this, we come to what is perhaps the most well-known cloned animal in history, and that would be Dolly the sheep. So Dolly was born in 1996. She was a Finn Dorset cross ewe, and the first successful mammal to be cloned from an adult somatic cell. In fact, Dolly was cloned using a mammary cell as the nuclear donor, and this had a little bit of something to do with how she got her name, referring to Dolly Parton, who has a well-known set of mammaries herself. Dolly was created at the University of Edinburgh by Drs. Campbell, Wilmot, and colleagues, and unfortunately she has since passed. Um, Dolly died in 2003 of progressive lung disease. However, this was not found to be related to her being a clone. Since Dolly, a number of animals have been added to the list of successfully cloned, including um, pigs in 2000, cattle, goats, cats in 2001, rats, mules, horses in 2003, dogs and wolves in 2005, water buffalo, camel, the Pyrenean ibex was also cloned in 2009, which was the first extinct animal that was cloned back to life. However, it only lived for about seven minutes. Um, in 2013, we saw the cloning of the gastric brooding frog, which was also extinct since the mid-1980s. Most recently, there was a publication in 2017 on the cloning of the macaque monkey, which was the first cloning of a primate. Now, in this cloning procedure, they used the donor nuclei from a fibroblast of an aborted fetus, so they weren't using an adult cell. They also treated these fibroblasts with a couple of different enzymes in an effort to erase the epigenetic memory, so the alterations to the DNA that don't affect the sequence, but do affect the expression of the genes. I think this kind of cell treatment might become the norm going forward with um, other cloning attempts. Beyond that, there isn't a lot of recent science on cloning, um, and this has to do a lot with the ethical questions surrounding it. So beyond proof of concept, why are we cloning animals and, and what are we doing with these cloned animals? So I think for the large part, the science has been ironed out. We have proof of concept, we have clones that we've made, so what we need now is a reason to be cloning animals. One of the services that is available to the general public is getting your pet cloned. So say you have the best dog ever, because let's be honest, who doesn't have the best dog ever? You can elect to have its genetic content preserved, and then when you feel like it, you can order yourself a new best dog ever. Um, there's a company, I believe they're based in Texas, they're called Viagen Pets, and you can get your cat cloned for the low price of $25,000, your dog cloned for the even better deal of $50,000, or your horse cloned for $85,000. They also 
offer genetic preservation and storage plans. Um, these come in at $1,600 plus $150 per year for storage. And people do do this. Um, I think most notably, Barbara Streisand has had her dog Sammy cloned. Another way that we're currently using cloning is in an effort of de-extinction. Now this is the process of creating an organism which is a member of an extinct species. Using somatic cell nuclear transfer is the method that's most widely proposed. However, there have also been efforts made through selective breeding. This is a similar technique that has been applied with endangered species. There is some controversy over the practice, and this generally circles around the fact that a species went extinct for a reason, and usually this is the lack of habitat. So once we bring the species back, where are they living? So leaving that aside, like I said, most of this cloning is occurring through somatic cell nuclear transfer, in which they're taking the nucleus from intact cells of the extinct species and placing them into the egg of the nearest living relative. The bentang, which is a wild cattle from Southeast Asia, is an endangered species that was successfully cloned and was the first to survive for more than a week. This was done in 2003. Along the lines of extinction prevention, Scientists have begun keeping frozen zoos or genome banks as insurance against species extinction. And this means they're freezing both the embryonic cells and the sperm cells from species at risk. Another thing to consider with new cloning techniques and new de-extinction techniques is the use of the CRISPR-Cas9 system. I know I mentioned it a lot, but it really is this new tool that could help with a number of things. So think of using the CRISPR-Cas9 in cloning to edit closely related species and insert relevant genes from the extinct species to make the offspring more like the extinct species. And you do this over a series of generations through selective breeding and gene editing, and you may end up with something that is quite similar to the species that is extinct. Now there's a couple species that I'm gonna talk about that work on de-extinction is currently being done. The first of that being the woolly mammoth. Now this is possible because we have preserved soft tissue, though most of it has little usable DNA due to the poor preservation conditions. However, this follows the same idea, um, taking the nucleus from an adult somatic cell and transferring it into the egg of an elephant than having a female elephant carry this to term and hopefully give birth to a woolly mammoth. Another strategy that they've been looking at is using artificial insemination of an elephant egg with sperm recovered from a preserved woolly mammoth body. With the idea of doing this for multiple generations and then eventually producing an almost pure woolly mammoth. However, similar with the tissue, viable sperm is an issue um, due to poor preservation conditions. Now, the whole genome of the woolly mammoth has been mapped, so it is possible that in the future we could synthesize the entire sequence and use that to clone the woolly mammoth. 
That being said, even if one of these techniques was successful, what would we do with woolly mammoths if we recreated them? There are not a lot of suitable habitats left in existence. Furthermore, woolly mammoths tend to be social animals, so having just one or two wouldn't really be great for them. We'd have to be able to, to create an entire population. In the end, there's a high time and resource cost that would need to be allocated to creating this woolly mammoth, and perhaps this could be better spent elsewhere, for example, helping an endangered elephant species. There is some other work being done with the woolly mammoth genome, and this is by geneticist George Church, who is at Harvard, and he's using the woolly mammoth genome to try to enhance the genome of the Asian elephant and perhaps improve its survivability, for example, by giving it cold resistance um, and inserting some genes to give it longer hair or perhaps an extra layer of fat. Another species on which work is currently underway is the passenger pigeon. Now these birds used to number in the billions before being wiped out due to commercial hunting and habitat loss. There's a nonprofit organization called Revive and Restore that's currently working on the passenger pigeon. They're using DNA retrieved from museum specimens, which is very degraded, um, so simple cloning is not going to work. However, they're focusing on identifying mutations in the, in the DNA that would cause the phenotypic differences between the passenger pigeon and its closing living relative, which is the band-tailed pigeon. They planned to use the CRISPR-Cas9 system to change and introduce traits of the passenger pigeon into the band-tailed pigeon and then repeat this process until they have an organism that closely resembles the passenger pigeon. Traits that they're targeting include migratory behavior, social behavior, growth rates, coloration, and feather development. Their goal is to have their first generation hatch in 2022. I'll throw up a link to their website on the blog. They have a few other projects that you may also be interested in reading about. With that, I'm going to sign off for the episode. I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, I hope you learned something, maybe found something new and interesting. As always, you can visit the blog. It's wordsaboutbiology.wordpress.com. You can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Words About Bio, and on Instagram, at Words About Biology. Both of those are all one word. I hope to have you back next time. Until then, stay interested in science, and I'll talk to you later.